Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Salinsky. And this week we wanted to talk about horrible bosses. Um, Tom, uh, you and I are colleagues and we've been working together for yonks. And I don't know that either of us can confidently say that we have a boss. Not at the moment, no. If anything, our clients are bosses. But the lovely thing about the kind of work that we do and the kind of clients we have is that although our clients, as is inevitable, run the entire spectrum from absolute sweethearts mm. to the most difficult people we encounter, mm. those encounters will be necessarily brief. Yeah, we're not being we're not sentenced to seeing them every day for the rest of our professional careers. The terrible thing about a horrible boss is they're always there. Yes, they are. They are indeed. I think the um, and even if we were, to, and even if for those brief in- engagements, I, in my experience, as a sort of as a visiting consultant, the people who book us, that it's they very much want us to be sitting outside the the hierarchy of the organisation because they want um, somebody authoritative to come along and talk to them, regardless to everyone in the organisation, regardless of their their rank. Um, so, I mean, there's movies about horrible bosses. Yes. Um, and uh, something very cathartic about seeing a horrible boss, particularly <laughs> a boss consumed with ego, and that's not the only kind of horrible boss by any means, but a boss consumed by ego who has their status taken away from them. Oh, yeah. there are a few things more satisfying. A few things more satisfying than that. I mean, I, the, the, it's a it's sitcom standard yeah. as well. I mean, uh, Basil Fawlty is an absolutely horrible boss to Manuel and Polly, um, uh, and perhaps most famously in our time. Actually, let's talk about. I mean, it's shame to start with somebody fictional, but I kind of think it, as it's come up, um, Ricky Gervais's character David Brent in The Office. Yes. All right. Now I remember watching that show uh, when it first came out and not really getting it, or maybe just not even liking it. All right. There was something about the the flavour of it that, for me, felt I think slightly bitter. But now I don't think that at all. Okay. Um, and I think particularly. Uh, the conclusion of it was extraordinary mm. because a character who everybody had been taught to, in fact, sorry, spoiler warning, we'll put that in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> a character of people who had been taught to mock and, 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 and deride, you ended up taking their side because he was suddenly in a different status dynamic with somebody else. A lot of great sitcom characters are deluded. Basil Fawlty thinks he's running a luxury establishment <laughs> and actually is running a down-at-heel, seedy mm. seaside resort. Uh, and likewise, the, the brilliant thing about David Brent is he's not a, a monster who mm. is 
lashing out and using the power given to him because of his position in order to belittle other people. He believes yes. he is the ideal boss. Yes. He believes that he is a friend to everybody in the office. The chilled the, out entertainer. Chilled out entertainer. And the, the cringe comedy, and some people just don't like yeah. cringe comedy full stop, and that's fair enough, but comes from that disconnect, the way he sees himself versus the way everybody else, everyone else sees him. Well, I wonder if my initial dislike is related to what you're saying about some people don't like cringe comedy. I've heard lots of people say about David Brent and, and characters like that in those cringe comedies. Oh, my God. Everybody knows somebody like that person. Yeah. And I think that in the conclusion of the series comes, I think, a second truth. And my suspicion is that the person that everybody knows who is something like David Brent is themselves. And I think that's why it's so <laughs> painful to watch. Not because yes. I've seen people screw up horribly socially in that way, but I've been that guy sometimes. And uh, and it's nice to have it kind of, it sort of, uh, I suppose, exaggerated in such a way we can externalize it and mock it from a distance. But actually a little bit of it is us. And I think that the uh, one of the one of the challenges about, about our relationships with our, our, our bosses is we sometimes feel locked in one particular relationship, not able to easily identify with the other person's uh, situation. Certainly, they're not identifying with ours. So, bringing it back to the real world, what was the worst boss that you ever had? (laughs) I, okay. Um, So, my employment history is sketchy. Quite a lot of it has been entirely freelance. I've had directors... In yes, theatre companies who I have whose taste and choices I have found it impossible to respect, um, and I, I I don't I've never found it easy to get. It's like the same. I've had um, I, the whole relationship between an actor and an agent. I just I was not really able to master at mm. all, but I, I I don't think I was able to say that they were terrible bosses. Um, just it was a bad fit. it was a bad relationship yeah, yeah I kind of I don't want to take on I don't want to say it's all it's all about me <laughs> but uh, but there is that sense that I, I can convince that I can handle these situations better than I did um, and, and that it means of course I don't have to worry too much about whether it's their fault or not there's something I can do about it um, I once had a my first ever job was selling tools on Preston Market Tom can you imagine that this was prior to my days working in Ponzi bookshops and going to Oxford. and <laughs> Selling hammers and saws and things. Saws, yeah, <laughs> screwdrivers and wrenches. And, uh, and the guy who did that was, uh, I think, was probably exploiting somebody who was too young to do the work. Um, uh, but, of course, at the time, it just felt like a good way of using my Saturday. And I went, went away with 20 quid. Um, so, no, I think I've been quite, quite lucky in working with, with, the, with the people I've been working with. How about you? Who's your worst? Oh, uh, by a country mile. Uh, a man named Michael. I won't give his surname. Uh, he may still be alive. That he was already in his sixties, and this was twenty odd years ago. Mm. Uh, who was just by by any reasonable definition of the word a psychopath? Right. Uh, he he had built a successful business mm. by some means, and his second in command basically recognized this was a successful business and recognized also that probably the only thing that could go wrong would be Michael having too much influence over it. Mm. At the same time, Michael's rival, someone he'd been to school with, started a business and Michael wanted to compete with that. Mm. So this woman who was his 2IC was able to say, well, it sounds like you should go and do that new exciting thing while I look after this. 
So he had this machine that just regularly produced cash, mm. which he would then blow on this loss-making enterprise. And it was in the <laughs> loss-making enterprise that I was employed. Uh, I may have to specify that loss-making enterprise was a magazine, uh, mm. because otherwise subsequent things I'm going to say won't make sense. But he would, for example, fire people if he was bored. Uh, I can remember somebody saying wow. to me, um, he called me into his office and he said, uh, you've been with us now for 23 months. Mm. And under English employment law, <laughs> if I employ you for another month, you will get all sorts of rights and benefits, uh, which I'm not going to give you. Uh, so you're fired. Uh, but you can come back on a freelance basis if you want. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like P&O down there, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, in which basically everybody was fired yeah. in order to be replaced by people who, it turns out, weren't able to do the job safely. And so the whole outfit has stopped. And he would employ me and uh, one or two other designers to lay out the pages of mm. his magazine. And then when we were done, he would come along and sit down at the computers and open the graphic design software and mm. mess everything up. Right in order to get it how he wanted it. We actually figured out a scheme, uh, me and uh, the more senior person there, uh, where um, John would sit next to Michael, watching him mess, mess everything up. As soon as he closed a file, mm. I would quietly reopen it in the background and try and reverse the most egregious changes that he'd made, or at least mm. the ones I thought he wasn't likely to notice, <laughs> and try to get the pages looking a bit more acceptable before they went off to the printer. If you're a horrible boss, <laughs> and you're... you're unlikely to have uh, to be popular with your people. I would argue that you're probably less likely to have a happy team. Unhappy teams don't do great work. Um, and so you can't surely be a horrible boss for long unless there's some secret ingredient. And I'm just wondering, what is it to do with the, the how, can a, how can an incompetent people manager um, hide out? Um, uh, maybe it's a big organization or, or maybe there's some, some this wasn't a very big organization. political reason. 20 or 30 people, but yeah. I liked the work. Okay. Uh, and it was decently paid and finding a job is sometimes hard. Yeah. So I, I stuck around for those reasons. I stuck around in spite of Michael, certainly not because of him. There were lots of things you wanted to do in your spare time, like build an improvisation company. Uh, true. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, so having regular income facilitated that. One question that does come up when I'm working with corporate groups is, uh, okay, so let's look at how we do this, how we do that. Uh, but then the question of politics within a sort of a big hierarchical institution comes up. It came up the other day. I was, uh, I was giving advice to a junior person who is preparing support material for a senior person who, once it's all sorted out, will then go to another senior person with this new, even sort of polished sort of support material who will then go and have a meeting with the client and use this support material to talk them through. So um, regardless of what advice I give to this junior person, this person's scary boss is going to say, no, 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 that's far too radical and uh, exciting and uh, we don't do things that way in this organization. And so at the end of this conversation, I simply had to say, you, you know, you must not give your, tell your boss to do this in this way <laughs> <laughs> um, because you have a relationship with that person that I don't. I'm an outsider. Um, so, th so it's true that that person is in a completely different situation and therefore the, the challenge is slightly different. I think outside institutions... Um, we are, we can give advice as if it would be easy to follow, but we don't appreciate quite how paralyzing it is when everywhere you look, you can see the little webs of influence because you've been there long enough uh, to see those patterns play out. Yeah, so managing up is it's is a skill in its own right. Mm. If you have a horrible boss, there may be things that you can do in order to try and improve the relationship. 
I think that uh, um, I think when we see our, when we see senior people's foibles, there's a strong desire to to see them brought low, and that's in fact what the, what the office often explores yes. is that uh, is people teasing and taking the Mickey out of him. Uh, but it just pushes the relationship further and further apart. Um, however, immediately satisfying it might be to your ego to see your boss humiliated. Yes, there's a, Reddit and places like that are full of stories of malicious compliance. <laughs> People who follow the idiotic orders they've been given to the letter, mm. knowing the chaos that will ensue. Mm. And it's always a boss who was intransigent, would mm. not listen to reason, would not take advice from anyone else. But the story generally ends with the boss being fired. Yeah. Because what you're doing when you maliciously comply is proving a point and you know, feeling good about yourself yes. because you were right and they were wrong. But you are not managing a relationship. No, no. You are depth charging a relationship. Uh, and hiding behind the structure of the organ of the, oh, I have to do as I'm told. This is my contract. It's not me. And it was them. Yeah, it's really difficult because it, sort of within those, I think those hierarchical structures, people can sometimes end up feeling very invisible. Uh, and therefore almost opting out completely in terms of their own agency and responsibility within that structure. Um, and uh, in some ways, they've kind of surrendered already, I think. Um, so uh, having to to say, how do we change this? Well, you've got to have a completely different attitude to the way you see yourself within your organization. That's the start. And that's, that's a very big ask to take from a visiting consultant, I'd say. Yeah. But I do think it's true. But I think as as difficult as it sounds, probably the best way to deal with a horrible boss is kill them with kindness. Especially as uh, if they're widely regarded as being a horrible boss, and it isn't just a personality clash between you and them, then they aren't going to have very many subordinates who treat them kindly. Mm. And if you are such a person, then you may get all sorts of benefits, including, of course, uh, being promoted out of that person's reach. Yes. I mean, you, having your own plan, which is not really connected to that individual, I think is quite important. That, that phrase, kill with kindness, uh, whenever I come across it, I've always thought, gosh, the kindness is in, but so is the killing. That <laughs> 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 there is this the sort of this sense of a kind of a battle to the death between oh. you and another person. Neutralize I mean, with niceness. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, I sometimes say, you know, well, try just being kind. And in fact, and I know that that can sometimes have um, unpredictable effect. I remember once being involved in a production, and it was in the days when it was still allowed <laughs> for people to try and do all male productions of Shakespeare. Right. We we're all very ashamed about this in retrospect. Let me point out. Um, uh, we were slightly less evolved. But what it meant was that the entire company was an absolute sort of ferocious, angry hotbed of testosterone. And the director was very unhappy. Um, and and he, I remember him confiding in me and me going, oh, well, chap needs uh, someone to listen to. And I kind of I tried to be a shoulder to cry on for the duration of the uh, production. Actually, it wasn't a total disaster for me in retrospect. It was a, it, it was a much better production than he thought. Um, but he's never really, well, I sometimes think he's never forgiven me. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Because well, yes, because the you're, of, you're the one yes. who saw his soft underbelly. Yeah, the vulnerability, yeah. kind of like that, okay, that was actually, you know, something I shouldn't do. I should Maybe, maybe he's actually himself, he can't forgive. You know, he shouldn't have put me under that emotional pressure, I don't know. But th there are risks attached to a kind of, to, to adopting a counterintuitive approach to a situation like this. Um, and of course, uh, people listening to this will know their context much better than, than we do. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you think, do you think the, the pattern of being a horrible boss is changing? You and I are, are old, Tom. Yes. And it may be that if you're a, a manager in your 20s and 30s, then you, you, you won't, behaving, won't be behaving like the psychopath you described. I hope not. And yeah, he, he was a business owner, mm. which is a particularly implacable kind of, of horrible boss. There's no one yes. that can fire him. So malicious compliance won't get you very far. <laughs> uh, and that's not true of most of, our, you know, most of the people that we work with when we do our corporate work are in big hierarchies. Mm. And we're very rarely talking to somebody who is a business owner. It does happen. We work for some smaller companies. Um, But I think it's also there, as you point out, rare to have business owners who are quite so megalomaniacal and psychopathic. It's maybe a bit more common in bigger companies where one way of dealing with somebody who is unpopular and unliked yes. is to move them yeah. and it's much easier to move somebody upwards Up than sideways yeah i mean that that peter principle that everyone rises in an institution to the level of their, their yes. own incompetence exactly the organization <laughs> keeps promoting them until it finds something that they can't do yeah. uh, and that's where they yeah. stay and so then, everybody and, and talk about how you're really you're pushing yourself yeah. to do things beyond your so capacities everybody you meet in a hierarchical organization is either new in the role or has demonstrated that they're incompetent <laughs> true the i I, said, I i also wonder whether that i mean i'm thinking of the different kinds of client we have if you're if we're working for younger groups roughly and they're often sort of creative organizations like advertising agencies creative outfits don't really endorse hierarchies in the same way as say a law firm or a bank would um and so uh, i say in those there's much more kind of a collegiate feel they don't have the sort of the boss relationship in which they're showing up to report in somebody's very smart office with the data they're sitting at a shared desk with yeah. uh, with macbooks um and so there is the uh, at least um in theory there is we're just all a bunch of guys doing great work together um, but <laughs> they do have those painful relationships and they're with people outside the organization. They're, it's their long-term relationship with the, that the client manager has with the marketing person in there. And so in some ways, the boss dynamic happens like that because as a client relationship manager, I'm responsible for the firm, uh, for my advertising firm in its engagement with this the person who regularly pays us for the things that we're promising them under the contract. And that is where that um, the the client can end up deciding, oh, I just have to insist, this is what I want, I want it now, I want it yesterday, all those kind of the, 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 the table banging. It doesn't happen inside the advertising firm, it happens between them and their clients. 
Um, and again, often the person who's managing that client is quite a junior person. Mm. So uh, yeah, a lot of those, those same patterns apply. Um, but I do think if somebody is banging a table and saying, listen to me, um, the thing to do is to listen to them because until you do, they'll keep banging the table. Um, and I've sometimes had to listen to people's sort of asking me to give them permission to teach that person manners. Um, you can't behave this way. It's totally unacceptable. And uh, and it's very hard for me not having actually been there in the room or watched this interaction to know that that would be good advice. Um, and generally, I would say you need to err on the side of generosity. How about you? Uh, talking about advertising is reminding me of my least pleasant experience on a training session. Okay. A consultancy session, actually. It was a piece of pitch coaching. And this was a, just a completely screwed up situation <laughs> from start to finish. The guy who had done most of the creative work mm. for the campaign, and this was a pitch, so this is all preliminary work, but this guy, firstly, is not popular within the team. Mm -hmm. Secondly, has already quit. Mm -hmm. And so even if they win the business, he's not going to be on the team that actually delivers it. He's just here for this pitch. And I've come <laughs> into this room. This is like my second or third day working with these people mm. over about three or four weeks. And this guy has the floor and is taking us through his part of the pitch. There's maybe about 15 people in the room around this big table. And there seems to be some general disagreement that he's managing to deliver the story as cleanly as possible. Mm. And I said, did you think about starting the presentation with the logo and then showing how you arrived at it rather than doing all the preliminary work and then yeah. doing the big reveal. Mm. You just make them impatient. He looked at me and went, are you f***ing insane? <laughs> and there was this terrible silence. Yeah. He was just uh, not a nice man. Well, also, it utterly emotionally checked out. Yeah. Um, because it's, uh, what does it matter to him? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he thought nothing, nothing at all of completely belittling me mm. and, and robbing me of status. He was evidently totally uninterested in having a conversation about different ways which this, this could be approached. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, I've never done it that way before. Why do you think this might work? Yes, what's your reasoning? Uh, he just wanted to, to swap me aside, despite the fact, as I say, he mm -hmm. was leaving. Yeah, He should have had no sex with this whatsoever. Uh, I still have nightmares about that. It was no. so humiliating. Yes. No, okay, so I'm trying to think if I've, I've had a similar occasion. No, well, I, I mean, occasionally people... Um, get in heavy arguments with me um, because there's, uh, they, 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 they don't, there's, there's places they don't want to go in the work that we're talking about. But I don't think I've ever had that kind of sort of brutal face down. I do remember <laughs> um, occasionally people will say things to you which are shockingly inappropriate. Mm. But it's more, I, I usually attribute that. I usually find a, a sort of a way of looking at it like, oh, how very confused you must be. <laughs> or they may just be from the Netherlands. <laughs> Was this a Dutch person? Not? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. No, no, no. We're, we're talking about, I guess, power-crazed people and people who are, for some reason, genuinely not interested at all in the well-being of the other person in the interaction or the other person in the, the institution. What are good bosses like? Captain Picard. <laughs> uh, no, he's a textbook case. Right. Uh, because it's very clear who is in charge. 
But it's equally clear that he is willing to hear ideas from practically anybody, practically at any time. So that, for me, is about lack of fear and curiosity, um, and because you're not um, you're not scared of the fact that th- these contributions are coming to people who are significantly less experienced or junior than you. If they've got value, you're into them. Um, yes, I think that matters. And so I think that's maybe one reason when I'm thinking about horrible bosses, I'm thinking that for some reason, this person is neurotic and paranoid and that's scared. Right. And so I think the, the, the bad version is you don't listen to advice that other people give you. Mm-hmm. And then when things turn out badly, you look for someone else to, to blame. blame them. Yeah. Whereas what Captain Picard does mm. is listen to options from everybody and create an atmosphere where everyone's opinion can be heard mm. and then takes ownership of the decision. Yes. The decision ultimately is mine. Doesn't matter who suggested it. I make the call, mm. and therefore any negative outcome is going to reflect badly on me and only on me yes. because it was my decision to make. There's some frightening stuff about the NASA decision to allow the space shuttle Columbia to attempt re entry. Mm. And looking at the transcripts of the meetings, it's fairly clear that the most senior person in that room had decided before the meeting started Mm. that no possibility existed to look at the tiles, replace the tiles, or send another craft up to fish out the people on board. The only thing they could feasibly do was attempt re-entry, and she made sure that was where the conversation ended up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, that, that thing about who takes the, the flack when things go wrong, I think is, is really, really important. You know, a, a good boss is someone who says, it stops with me. <laughs> when the shoutings come down from on high, if the last shouting is in your face, rather than what you turn around and put in other people's faces, then I think um, people will notice that. Um, and it's a sign of a very good boss. Um, I think it's also, I mean, just to end on a positive note, I think also bosses credit people. It's not necessarily the same as just giving people random compliments. I remember uh, one of the, uh, that's a very, very happy time working for a while at the British Council, which is at the end of the mile. And uh, a couple of bosses I had, one of them was always giving me things to do, which were not part of our brief because she was interested in them. And she said, don't worry, it's on me, (laughs) which is always nice, which meant I was free to get really into it and do a good job. But I remember one occasion when we we did something for Jim, our boss. And I remember because I was drafting um, letters for him, he said, take a letter. (laughs) I said, I want to thank you personally, I want to thank you personally, I typed, for the excellent contribution you made, for the excellent contribution you made <laughs> last week when we set up that meeting in Brussels, last week when we set up that meeting in Brussels. I know it's going to make a big difference. It's going to make a big difference. All the very best, Jim, all the very best, Jim. I then printed out six copies and he signed, He wrote my name on one of them and handed it straight <laughs> back to me. Um, but I just remember he would always be taking the trouble to, to do that. And it was partly to do with the fact that he wasn't always in the office. And so he, when he was with us, he was really building relationships. He was taking us to the pub and talking and making friends. And Good Bosses celebrate successes as well. The last mm. big company I worked for, the management team mm. would make a big song and dance about every success the company had and would make it a success that everybody in the company, a team of about 70 or 80 people, mm. a success that everybody could and should celebrate. And I remember that ostentatious public celebration of success being the only, I think, way of bringing everybody in a company together that I think I've ever yeah. seen. What normally happens in big organizations is people get increasingly siloed. They want personal successes. But in this organization, I saw a way in which everybody can feel a part of God, I hate to use this word, Alex. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah, you are. The family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah, and, and if organizations in which there's a 
culture of that in which everybody's contributing to it. I mean, in fact, famously, the NASA at a happier time. Somebody yes. visiting Cape Canaveral sees a guy with a broom and says, what do you do? And he says, I put people on the moon. I don't know that story is true, no, but no, I'd like to think it is. Oh, it's just great. It, it, no, it, it may not be true, but it's useful. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're if you're out there um, and you're looking for ways of, uh, of guarding yourself against bad bossness, look for ways of crediting everybody in the organization for their contribution. Um, I'm Alex, and uh, with Tom, we deliver sessions in organizations, big and small, with groups, senior and junior, right down to individuals. Um, so do get in touch with us. We're at info at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at spontaneity shop. Or you can find me personally at Tom Selinsky, or you can email me tom at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. Um, thanks again for listening. I'm Alex McLaren. I'm Tom Selinsky. See you soon. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.